Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So if you were here last week, Sam kicked off our series and he talked uh, from the beginning of Acts about the difference uh, between a church with power and a church without power, a church with the Holy Spirit uh, moving amongst them and a church without that. And uh, we, I wanted to kind of work our way through Acts uh, or the kind of first few portions of Acts um, just as the world eases up a bit as social distancing restrictions ease, as we can do more normal things together as a church, for example, we can sing badly together, Uh, we get to hang around with each other afterwards and chat, which is a a good thing to do. Eventually we will have kids work again, we'll be able to have tea and coffee and eat too much cake again, all of these things that are good and that we miss, but really we want to see God move in our city, don't we? That's what we want, we want to see God move in our lives, in the lives of our family, on our streets. Uh, We want to see the sick healed. We want to see people uh, become Christians, people who who don't know Jesus at the moment to know Jesus. That's what we want to see, Uh, to see churches planted. Uh, I'm desperate to see a church planted into Denton, into the northern quarter, to Munich. I want that Spanish-speaking group, the Hindi-speaking one, and the Reddish one. I want these churches to start, and we need God moving amongst us to even have a chance that stuff to happen. We want uh, the God, God to be with us to dictate our activity, don't we? To challenge us about uh, how we live our lives, how we uh, do our jobs, how we talk to our uh, family and to our friends, uh, how, we, how God works in us to bring healing to us. We want to see God do all of those things. So I want to spend a few weeks looking at the beginning bits of Acts and just to think about this stuff. What does normal church life look like? Because it's easy to think normal churches, we sing and we can hang around and have coffee afterwards. Actually, that's a tiny bit of what we can do. Actually, normal church life is a very powerful activity. So today, we're going to look at one of the more controversial passages in the book of Acts, uh, which I'm going to enjoy, and maybe you will as well. And we're going to look at Acts 4 and 5, and we're going to talk about giving, and we're going to talk about how Ananias and Sapphira died because they did it wrong, okay? That's, it's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy it. You may enjoy it less than me. So, but what we want to think about is when we give, we build. Okay? That's, that's something important for us to think about. When we give with our money, we actually get to build something. It doesn't matter how much we give, actually, but the how we give actually really helps us to build something. It's easy to disengage from our giving, to remove the power from it, to be like Sam was talking about last week. We can give in a non-power way, or we can give in a way that has some power, some Holy Spirit in it. And we might view our, our, our giving as an obligation of your faith. You think, oh, I need to do it because the pastor talks about it and that's just what Christians do. And if I do, perhaps he'll stop talking about it. Okay? You might think about it in that way. Or you might think about it as a charitable act. I give to a charity. I give to churches the same thing. That's how we maybe think about it. Maybe church is one of a number of charities you think that you support. Or perhaps giving is just something, I'd just rather not talk about it, and I'd rather the church didn't talk about it either. But actually, giving, giving to church is a deeply profound 
activity, very holy activity actually. It's a way we get to play our part in building God's people. It's actually a vital part of advancing God's kingdom. And it throws us right into the midst of a battle, okay, a spiritual battle, a battle between kingdoms. And it's not vital just because if people pay for stuff, give money, then we can pay to do things. Okay? That is a, a part of it, but actually it's a, a much deeper thing than that. When we give, we get to build something incredible. So we're going to look at Acts 4 and 5. Before we read through a few bits, we'll just do a little bit of context as to what is going on at this point in the book of Acts. So Peter and John have been arrested for preaching. They were preaching in the temple, which is the location of the preaching is important. They're preaching in the temple and they've just healed someone there. They healed a a guy in the temple. And so they are questioned after being arrested by the high priest and by some of the scribes. So, So the religious authorities in the temple. They get them there, they question them and say, what power did you do this by? And they say, we did it by Jesus, the cornerstone. Okay, now you might think that's an odd way to describe Jesus. Remember, they are stood in the temple. Jesus had compared himself to the temple. And so they are saying, actually, we did this by Jesus, the cornerstone. He is the building block on which this temple is being built. And so they are amazed, it says that, priests and scribes, they are amazed at the apostles' boldness, but then they ban them from preaching. So, you're amazing how bold and brave you are. Don't do it again. Peter and John are released, and they go back to the other believers, and they all get together, and they all pray, and they pray from Psalm 2. They pray, why did the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed. They're saying, We are in a battle. It is the kingdom of God's fighting against the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of the world. And then they keep on praying. They keep on praying for more boldness. They know that Jesus' kingdom is advancing and that they are in that kingdom and so they are up against something. And they are filled with the spirit as well. So it's a very uh, powerful moment, the, the very beginning days of the early church. And you think about it, they are just absolutely, they must be, adrenaline must be pumping at this time. They're seeing healings, they're seeing salvation, they're facing a tiny bit of opposition, okay? Nothing bad has happened to them at this moment, okay? The the high priests have said, you're very bold, stop it. And they're like, well, we're up against some opposition here. That's all that they've experienced at this this point. So underneath this, what what is happening? Well, the temple is being built. Okay, so remember, Peter and John talking to the high priest, they say, Jesus is the cornerstone. This brand new temple is being built. It's a brand new Christian community. It's the people of God together. They are to function like a temple, this place of holiness. And the temple is where heaven and earth meet. That's what they always believed about the temple. When Solomon first built it, it was a place where God lived, where heaven came down and was on earth. And you remember Jesus taught people how to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven comes down to earth, it happens in the temple. But the temple, as they understood it, was them, was the church, was the people. And actually that's true for us as well. We are the church, we are the people of God's. We are a place where heaven comes and is with earth. 
heaven comes down. It's like, uh, like heaven as it is on earth. On earth like it is in heaven, sorry. That's what we are to pray. That is what we are to expect. That is what we are to build. So it was once a place, the place where the high priest hung out, a building, a physical building that we've talked a lot about as we worked our way through Haggai. But now it's this people, the church, this brand new community. And so we see this process of building actually play out on a very big scale. Peter and John are praying and preaching. The people are praying with them. It's very exciting. And then we see it worked out as well in the nuts and bolts, in the normalness of people's lives. Okay, and the normalness of how somebody does their budgeting. Okay, sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? Somebody, how somebody thinks about their finances, thinks about the money that they earn, what they've got. We see the kingdom of God played out on a huge scale, but also on a tiny scale as well. And we see it worked out in the lives of three people, don't we? Of Barnabas, of Ananias, and of Ananias' wife, Sapphira. Okay, so let's talk about Barnabas first before we get to Ananias and Sapphira. So Barnabas saw an opportunity to give to advance the kingdom of God, to build the temple, to build the church, to build the people. When he looked at his, his finances, that's what he saw. Ananias and Sapphira saw something very different. They saw an opportunity to build their own kingdom, but we'll talk about them a bit more later. So let's think about Barnabas. And uh, Acts 4 will come up there. Thank you, Tim. Uh, and I will read that for you. If you've got your Bibles, go to Acts 4.32, and we'll read a few verses there. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that anything that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Very powerful. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and bought the proceeds of what they sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. And thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas. Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. That's a great name to have, isn't it? Uh, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And he sold a field that belonged to him, bought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. So Barnabas is a fascinating character, and we're going to understand a little bit about him. Called the son of encouragement, which, as nicknames go, is a great one, I think, isn't it? He's not called sarcastic Barnabas, or really funny Barnabas, or, you know, great with his money Barnabas. He's called son of encouragement. Barnabas is the guy that you want to hang around. He's the guy that, after you spend some time with you, like, I feel brilliant about everything because he is the son of encouragement. He lifts other people up. It's a, a great name. But we see this, this in Acts. Actually, he was a great believer in people, Barnabas. He loved the church. Later on in Acts 11, it says, it's talking about Barnabas. It says he was a good man. Luke writes about this. It says Barnabas was a good bloke. He was full of the Holy Spirit and of and a great many people were added to the Lord. And this was at the church in Antioch. Great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Saul we would know as the Apostle Paul. Again, a brilliant description. He says he was a very good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. And then a great many people were added to the Lord. 
So it seems almost as Luke writes it, he's kind of tying the things together. Barnabas was, he had faith, he was a good person. He loved God, the Holy Spirit was on him, and lots of people got saved in this church that it looks like he, he led. But then it says, and the, but then he went to get some help. Then he went to look for someone else to help him. It doesn't say Barnabas dug in, worked on his strategy, the church kept growing. It says Barnabas went and got someone to help him. Actually, that tells us a lot about the sort of person he was. It's a very humble move to think, actually, you know what? I know someone who's much better at something than me. I'm going to go and get them, and they are going to come and help me. And that's going to be fantastic. And then out of Antioch, actually, there were lots of journeys that Barnabas and Paul went on together. And lots of missionary journeys to, to plant churches, to uh, preach the gospel. And it seems over time, slowly but surely, Barnabas went from the senior of the two to the junior. And Paul became the more significant of the two of them. And Barnabas, son of encouragement, seems to lift Paul up, seems to help Paul in his ministry. And then we see another incident, actually, where Barnabas stands up for a young man called Mark. And Mark went on one of these missionary trips with them. And Mark seems to have left early. It's not quite clear why, whether he was just finding it difficult and just cleared off. And later, Barnabas wants to take Mark again. Thinks, okay, well, let's give him another chance. Let's take him with us again. And Paul didn't want to. And Barnabas uh, stands up for Mark. And Barnabas and Paul have a bit of a falling out. But it's because Barnabas believes in this young man and wants to bring this young man through. He genuinely seems to want other people to succeed, even if it means that he loses out a little bit. And we see this as well, I think, in his giving, in this act here of what he does with his finances. He doesn't do it from religious obligation, like we were talking about. Like, okay, I need to do this, the apostles are teaching on it, so I better do it, just to keep them, keep them happy. He doesn't do it as a kind of, a, this is charity, this is what we all should do. He actually does it because he has faith. He sees this is a fantastic opportunity to build the kingdom of God. That's why I'm going to give. So how did Barnabas build with his giving? It says, first of all, he went out of his way to give. It should appear up on the screen there, Tim. Just the next slide. There you go. It says he went out of his way. He, his giving was inconvenient. Why do I say that? Well, he was giving in Jerusalem, but he was from Cyprus. Okay? And talks about the fields that he owns. Well, if he was from Cyprus, let's, it's fair to assume the fields were probably there as well, that he sold so he could give the money. That was inconvenient. He arranged his life so that he could be generous. It's important we think about that. Sometimes we think, well, we, we give what's left over and... We live our life and whatever's left, then we'll, we'll be generous with that. Well, Barnabas actually arranged his whole life so that he could give. It was inconvenience. Now, we don't know anything about his conversion. We, we don't know any more about Barnabas, that he came from Cyprus and this is the first time he appears. Um, but as Luke kind of introduces Barnabas, the first time we meet him is with financial giving. It's with generosity. It's a little bit of... We should know Barnabas for this. I wonder if actually it was something Barnabas carried on doing. And, and we are meant to identify Barnabas with generosity. But is he giving a, a, as an afterthought? Is it about what's left over? Or is it because he was, just had the mindset of generosity? 
I think that's a real challenge for us to think, do I arrange my life so that I can build the kingdom of God's or do I just give with what's left over? I just try and do the best I can. If there's some left at the end of the month or the end of the week, then I'll, I'll give a bit of that if I can. Or do I think, actually, you know what? I'm going to organise my life, organise my, my finances so that I know I can give and be generous. So he went out of his way. It was inconvenient giving. It was also costly giving. Now, this might seem very obvious to you, but it's important to talk about. He actually sold a field so that he can give. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, if you've ever sold something, but once you've sold it, it's gone and you can't use it anymore. Have you noticed that? So I recently put lots of books on eBay as a way to kind of clear some shelves and realize that books on eBay are basically worthless, so you're, you're almost giving these things away. But there was one book, I'd not used it in years, and I sold it, posted it off. About two weeks later, I was like, oh, I need a reference in that book. It was gone, couldn't use it anymore. Totally useless to me. Once it has been sold... You can't use it anymore. And so for Barnabas, it was costly because this field would have been generating income for him. As well as having value as a piece of land, actually, it would be making income for him. But he decided, you know what, I'm going to give. And that means that he would lose. Giving is costly. But giving is also humble. So his giving was humble. He puts it at the apostles' feet. And it says about all of them at the time, they sold something that they have and they put the money at the feet of the apostles. It's a, a very powerful statement because it really breaks the idea that it's our money. Actually, that's quite easy for us to slip into that thing. Well, I've earned it. I've earned, this is my money. This is, I, I, I have total control over this. It's come to me. It is my money. Now, actually, which is a very small-minded view of the world, isn't it? Often reminded of the fact that perhaps I can earn the money that I can, perhaps by the family that I was born into, the education that was available to me, the nation that I was born in, perhaps even the time in history that I was born. All of those things are nothing to do with me, but actually perhaps they help me to be able to earn the money that I can earn or live in the economy that I can live in. So we get a little bit arrogant when we say, actually, this is my money. I want to decide what to do with it. But actually, in that church at that point, they were saying uh, that any of their things belong, didn't belong to themselves. They put it at the feet of the apostles. It's a very humble thing to do. And finally, his giving was futuristic. Strange words. Really what I mean, he gave thinking about what God would do with the money in the future. He thought, actually, this is going to build something. This is going to look after the poor, which they were amazing at doing in that church. This is going to build community life. They were eating and drinking together. This is going to pay for mission. So we'll see that in the future. They got charged off into different mission opportunities. This is going to pay for those things. This is going to do something fantastic in the future. He was caught up in a vision of God's kingdom advancing and moving forward. And he knew the little bit of money that I've got to give is going to build that. It's going to be part of that. So Barnabas giving like this, actually it feels like it's quite a big moment in the life of this church. It's the first time that we see this happening of kind of people giving to church in this way. And I bet everybody in that moment was absolutely pumped. I bet the people that were there watching what he was doing thinking, field. He's not even from around here. He's from Cyprus. He's turned up here. He's putting money into the pot. This is amazing. This is great stuff. 
what happens next? What happens next? Actually, the church comes up against its first big test. And it doesn't come from the high priest. It doesn't come from the Romans. It doesn't come from people outside wanting to shut them down or oppress them. Actually, it comes from within them as a people. Evil comes at them from character and from some maturity issues. We see Ananias and Sapphira appear on the scene. So let's go to Acts 5 and I will read this for you. It says, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Okay, they did exactly the same as Barnabas. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some for himself, some of the proceeds, and bought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the lands? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. I bet it did. The young men rose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Okay, that's a pretty quick turnover. Okay, then we get verse 7. It says, after an interval of about three hours, his wife, Sapphira, she came in and she did not know what happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, we sold it for so much. So confirming what Ananias had told them. And Peter said to her, how is it you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord's? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard of these things. That's quite an incident, isn't it? That's to be understood. Effectively, what Ananias and Sapphira did, they said, we've sold a field and we sold it for this much money, and you can have that money. They were trying to look like Barnabas, but they were lying. They actually sold it for much more, and they were keeping a portion back. So they were trying really hard to look like Barnabas without losing any money. That was what they were trying to do. So let's compare the two of them. If you go to the next slide, thank you, Tim. It says, first of all, Barnabas, he went for inconvenient giving. He went out of his way. He built his life so that he could be generous. He reorganized his finances. It was quite an experience for him. But Ananias and Sapphira went for convenient giving. They went out of their way, actually, to not really change very much in their life. Okay, they made no changes, really. They gave a little bit of money, but that was as far as they went. They, they plotted. They made a plan to reduce their giving to make themselves look good. And actually, it, if you read these stories, no figures, no amounts are given. They may actually have given more than Barnabas. For all we know, the amount doesn't matter. But what does matter is there was no faith. There was no trust in God. Actually, they themselves were fearful. They were deceitful in their fear. It was producing lies within them. They were pretending to give the whole amount. They went for convenient giving. Barnabas went for costly giving. Ananias and Sapphira went for kudos giving. They wanted to give without cost because they wanted to look good in front of everyone else. Barnabas, you can imagine, everybody was amazed by what happened. They're like, yeah, I want a piece of that. Yeah, we're going to do exactly the same. Well, we want you to be amazed as well by our generosity 
and our kindness. We want to look good too, but we'd like it to be completely free of pain and cost for us, if possible. Okay, so that's what they went for. Barnabas went for humble giving. Actually, they were very cynical. There's something quite controlling about what they did, actually, as well as wanting to look good before their peers, before their church. Really, they're saying, we're going to do things our own way. Uh, we're not laying this really at the apostles' feet. We're not being humble here. We're actually being secretive. We're being controlling. We're not trusting you. We're being quite proud as well. And Barnabas gave for the future, for the future of the kingdom of God, for, for the future of what God might do with this money as he gave it away, as he relinquished control of what God would do with that faith. For them, they gave for their own future. See, we're going to give a bit to the church, but we're going to hold back a bunch for ourselves. We want to look after ourselves first. It's important, actually, as church, that we, we talk about giving. And we talk about how we spend our money and what we do with our money. Culturally, we're not usually very comfortable with it. We dislike talking about giving. Uh, actually, in, in my family, uh, I'm known as the person that always talks about money. It's a bit embarrassing sometimes. So if mum or dad have bought something new, the first thing I'll say is, how much that cost? Uh, and they're like, Tim, it doesn't matter how much it costs. We want to show you this. In Vicky's family, total opposite. Okay? So Vicky's dad would collect art. And on the walls, loads of art in this house, literally, kind of floor to ceiling with pieces of art. And I'll look at it, I've no idea what I'm looking at. And I'm always like, Rob, how much it costs? And he's like, Tim. And then talk, talks me through the piece of art and how wonderful it is. I'm like, sure, how, how much did you pay for it? <laughs> but culturally, we dislike talking about money. And we dislike, actually, churches talking about money. We would perhaps prefer for it to be quiet and hidden. But actually, when we go like Barnabas... When we have this attitude, thinking, actually, you know what? I want to build this new temple of God. Remember, that's what they were building on the cornerstone that was Jesus. I want to give to build that. That's what I want to give for. To build this kingdom. To build this place where actually heaven and earth can meet together. Where we can do what Jesus says. When we build on him as this cornerstone, this huge building block. Without him, the whole thing falls to pieces very quickly, but we get to put money into this. We get to build with this. And actually, we build on Jesus' example, the generosity of Jesus. And Barnabas got that. He saw, actually, I know what Jesus did for me. I know he went out of his way for me. My giving is a bit inconvenient, but he went out of his way to the cross. That was much more costly than anything I could possibly give. He gave up his whole life for me. He gave it in humility as well. He subjected himself to that. He totally relinquished control and power, even over his own body, over his own life. It was a great act of faith and trust in what God would do with that act in the future. Barnabas knew that his giving was, was a small, tiny contribution to building that. It was it's copying Jesus with one part of his life as he gave. So this morning, I, I wanted us to take a step back and just to think about that a bit. Yeah. So I've been thinking about that this week, thinking preaching in one of the poorest parts of our city about giving seems like an odd thing to do. And I'm not preaching because we're running out of money as a church. Actually, we're not. Uh, you are a very generous people. Uh, this church is being very well blessed by uh, many of the sites, all of the sites of uh, CCM, in fact, 
and that we are growing and thriving in lots of different ways, including our finances. So this isn't a desperate plea for more cash, and I want you to throw money at me at the end. But what I want us to think about is actually, we get to build the temple of God across our city. We get to do that in Gorton, in Denton, all the places that 